friends of friends welcome back to the film alchemist podcast the show where we look in movies we love break them apart to find out what gives them their magic i'm your host josh griffey joined as always by my sweaty candy loving balloon buying uh <laughs> signing his name in red alex dandino there you go <laughs> i was gonna finish it but we all know what he was we don't have to put exact heads on it all right, guys, this month, as you know, the pod is a madman. So the first theme of the month we're working on, movies that place us, the audience, in the POV of an actual madman. Today, we will be discussing one of my absolute favorite films of all time, 1931, Fritz Lang, Peter Lorre, M. Just the letter, M. M. Uh, as always, guys, if you love the pod, and we hope you do if you're here, man, Please take a second and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcast app. That helps us out enormously, guys. I really cannot stress that enough. Every time we see one, we appreciate it so much. Thank you, guys. Uh, find us on all your social medias, uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at Film Alchemist number one. Wherever you are, uh, we're there too, man, and we would love to talk to you. Maybe you have ideas for movies you'd like us to cover, things that are video on demand as we're not going to the theaters. Uh, you know, we got time. And you got a voice. Let's make it happen, man. It. And find us on YouTube. Uh, subscribe to our channel, Nerd Alchemist. That's plural with an S at the end. For our faces and even more fun new content. All right. All to bid as a side. Alex, had you watched M before today? Oh, yeah. I had watched yeah. it in college. It was one of those German expressionist films you're supposed to watch. Yeah. Uh, along with like Metropolis and Caligari and all that bullshit. See, this is when he started normalizing, right? But like, I actually, it's funny. I watched Caligari the other day too on a uh, Criterion channel. Cause I think it's leaving, but I was like the progression between like that and Metropolis into M is really something to behold for old Fritz Lang. <laughs> yeah. He, um, yeah. I mean, it's again, it's one of those great, um, German expressionisms. One of those like, like catch all things that everyone like anyone who went to film school always like oh yes it is such a german express like listen i don't know what any of that shit means i i, I mean like <laughs> to be honest with you you could say something is german expressive like oh it's dark and scary got it copy that german german expressionism but uh right. i think m is very interesting because it is truly like the most i mean it's odd it's actually pretty procedural and honestly i was watching it and was thinking man this totally could have fit into last month's theme the pods on the case we totally could yeah. have done that it's funny the further you get away from it you forget how insanely procedural this movie is yeah, right it's like a long order enormous episode. amount of this movie is here is an unknown menace right that they set up in a splendid way repulsive but splendid how they do it artistically i should say <laughs> yeah let's and qualify that we sit there and this movie is really fascinating to me from the POV of a madman point, right? So last week, we or earlier this week, Tuesday, we talked about Peeping Tom. Mm -hmm. uh, please go back and listen and download and watch. Peeping Tom is one of those, here is a madman, and we're, we're split between his two worlds, right? Which is him trying to present as a normal person, and then him losing control and entering his, you know, dark theater of the mind and, you know, recording right. his deeds. This movie is much stranger than that to me in that in this movie, Peter Laurie is the sweatiest of madmen that we'll cover, right? Like the 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 facade that protects Peter Laurie from the rest of us is so insanely paper thin, yeah. right? And the more he's on screen, you start wondering, really, no neighbor they receive thousands of tips at the police station, they say, and no neighbor's like, I don't like the cut of that Laurie guy's jib. <laughs> gross <laughs> right like, like the fact he wasn't turned in day one that like 10 of his neighbors weren't like oh that one yikes gross right but this is have you so, seen that so short fellow with the bug different. eyes walking around he didn't seem right <laughs> right and he's great for this role because the things that make peter laurie one of the most memorable and astounding actors of that era are absolutely perfect for what this movie is right yeah but it, it operates in a different manner than we cannot spend that's what I, I was fascinated by this time, right? I remember this much more as Peter Laurie hunting, right? And then when you watch it again, I'm always refocused on, if this movie's an hour and 40-some minutes, let's say, mm -hmm. it feels like maybe 25 of them are Peter Laurie. And oh, the yeah. rest of them are, here is a city, right, that has understood that there is a, 
a wolf amongst our flock, right? That right. we are all so very far away from the handshake agreement of civility falling apart. And so you watch this weird story of how quickly one man's sickness becomes an entire city's sickness. Right. I mean, I think that's like the really fascinating thing about M2. If you think about it in the context, and again, I'm not a historian, but if you think about the context of its uh, time frame, it's 1931 is when it came out. So that means it probably was made in 1930, 1929. Um, we're post-World War I. We're on the way to World War II. And Germany is a very frightening place to be no matter what like in that pocket of time like historically germany is not a great spot to be in so you're either poor or you are uh <laughs> slowly becoming a fascist but that's like really kind of <laughs> that's like really kind of the fascinating thing to me is that this is the so... worst period for linkedin of all time <laughs> fascist like it's yeah. such a fascinating thing though about the way that this works with the with the the city itself because this really functions a lot on like mass hysteria and it's interesting because we're watch I was watching this movie now given we're in week 3 of what I would say is like week 3 of our quarantine like we're pretty much locked in our houses <laughs> right and this is like we're all starting to go a little mad like my wife and I are starting to like snip at each other a little bit more than we usually did like last week we were like oh, oh yes this is oh god yes right <laughs> but like think about it and we were just talking about it before the show like we're at that point where at a pivotal like we're at a turning point right now of like, are people really going to take this seriously, like to get rid of this? But that this is really like the, the infection of a city's paranoia as a slowly, like, as it slowly, like, do, like converges on even the parts that are generally untouched, which as we find out is like the, the criminal underworld, which is probably the most interesting right. beat of this whole movie is that absolutely the criminal underworld obviously is like, the more like the there's the procedural of like the cops uh mm. trying to figure out what's going on like uh like uh like loman is Tubby spending, loman yeah yeah like carl loman's trying to figure out what's going on the inspector like there's a lot of fingerprint handwriting again that is like the law Isn't and order that, stuff of it it's fucking scary as shit though yeah because it, it 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 really was it's just terrifying. like all you had to do was just not be seen murdering yeah because they even mention it a couple times. They kind of slide it in like it's been eight months. Mm -hmm. Like, holy fuck. Because the movie feels really condensed at times. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but you see these police officers, and they do a great job with the detectives. By the end, they have that amazing, hilarious shot of Tubby Loman, where they make the weirdest. He just has to answer a phone call, right? But they're like, let's put the camera right under his desk and just shoot up that fupa. <laughs> right? So he's like this sweaty, like, underwear you know, <laughs> fucking tank top fupa shot of our main detective. And then when he gets, hey, uh, we caught this guy trying to break into a building. They cut back up to normal. And I was like, who decided we just needed to set the camera down and shoot up at his ginger taint? I'm just assuming he was a ging. He just had that look, right? But then I was like, oh, sure. fuck, what they're showing us, they're, they're taking the piss out of this great stalwart detective, right? Totally. That he's just this guy struggling to keep up with this. Right. And this is the thing, Peter Laurie's character in this movie becomes this really force of nature kind of participant in the story, which is so, so strange. Right. Because when we see him, the movie changes dramatically, right? Because he is so, so small and non-threatening, it feels right. like, right? Like, there's a threatening, menacing look about him. Mm -hmm. Like, he's definitely the kind of guy you would pull your kid a little closer or be like, well, if he, you know, tries to grab my wife, I'm going to punch him. Like, that kind of a look, right? It's, like, it's, it's the bug eyes. Right, but it's not the guy that you look at and you'd be like, oh, fuck. Like, this is, no. you know, the big bad wolf. Well, I mean, I think and that so that's... the movie spends a lot of time showing you guys yeah. in irrational states of fear, right? Well, like, one of the the coolest thing the movie does, right? There's There's a couple moments here right after the first murder. And one of the scenes I love is there's just this kindly old man. Oh, yeah, trying to give the girl directions. Yes, absolutely, right? And all of a sudden, you get this big bruiser. just like, what the fuck, man? You like little girls? Yeah. And he's just like, let go of me. What's your fucking problem? Well, it's like, not just him, is, but right? then, like, the whole, the, whole, the whole town square shows up. Exactly and like, right. interesting, And too. then everyone starts screaming for his blood. Yeah. Because in this moment, there is a, oh, fuck, that's him. We got to fucking get his ass now, right? 
Then we cut to, because they do this two or three times, and it's really effective at setting a stage, right? Mm -hmm. The next one is a guy who's being arrested for burglary. And his defense is, why are you fucking harassing me? You should be arresting the murderer. And in the crowd below, they're like, wait, murderer? Murderer? That's him! Beat his fucking ass! And they grab him and pull him into this throng of people as the cops are trying to now save him. Right, right. And you just see, you're like, oh my god. And it, it really, this is the kind of fun juxtaposition of these couple scenes, though, because that sets the stage of people are massively afraid. Yeah. And all we want to know is that the only good innocent thing in our world is not going to be scooped up and eaten immediately, right, our kids? Right. We want to assume our kids are safe. Later in the movie, though, there's a bit before Peter Laurie gets trapped in the uh, the building, right? Where I was like, man, you guys, like, you put a tag on his shoulder. You really followed him a long time. Like, you gave him a lot of leeway with that young girl. Right, right. And it that scene struck me as unusual this time. I was like, wow, everyone's so gung-ho to get this motherfucker. But then these guys in the criminal underworld, they're kind of going a little more procedural with it themselves. Well, right? yeah. I mean, I think that's the most interesting <laughs> thing about, like, like, so the cops are, like, analyzing handwriting there's that whole yeah. scene where they're like drawing the map or like they're drying the map like yeah the sugar is around I, I, i'm trying it's to do insane. like, a like they're accent. having to look at candy shop like yeah, the like amount they're of to, like they're really tools they did not deep. have the, the 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 underworld the bo the bosses all get together like listen let's just get all the homeless around give them a job yeah. for like five minutes like so that's like the Was whole there bit. a part of you that's like oh my god why don't we do but that I, it's interesting you bring up like the follow because like I agree it goes on really long but I was thinking about this and that was like something that I thought was but really why not just snatch him right like why right. are the the criminals not feverishly what? snatching up anyone and I really think it's something that we touched on already uh, earlier in the show which was think about the first time you see anything involving Peter Laurie's character anytime the first yeah. time you see Hans Beckert he's a silhouette he's a shadow on. Yeah the like wanted poster essentially for him. And not only that, it's towering over this little girl. So we see this poster. That's the first thing. And we see the silhouette and you're like, Oh my God, like this is yeah, the man. A poster that says who is the murderer. Right. Exactly. Like this is like, that's the, that's the first stage. That's the first thing you see of the man. You're like, Oh my God, like that's a little creepy. And like, to be fair, like Peter Laurie has a very plaintive, like small voice. But so does every other male character in this movie. Like, no one has a booming, like, manly voice in this movie. Yeah. Like, except every... for Tubby. <laughs> True. Except for and even that. Eh. Even that's a little. Him yeah. and the safe cracker guy are both going for it. They're yeah. the alphas. Right. But <laughs> then the minute you see him, that is the thing that I thought that struck me because I was thinking, like, why don't they just fucking take this guy down now? Like, they slap the M on him. Like, who gives a shit? What I realize. And what I was thinking of is like they're trying to make they're trying to do what the cops won't do, which is prove to themselves beyond a shadow of a doubt that this yeah. is the guy. And like the reason they oh, follow him is because he's yeah. so little and he's so plaintive, he's so quiet. There should be no reason that this would be the person, but it's in the like the most unlikely of packages you find the craziest monster, you know. That's and that's something we see all also, the time in movies now. Yeah. And this is exactly the movie that, that this that this takes takes it from. Yeah, well, I mean, it could also be these are guys who are constantly on the other end of that. Right. That right. Too. Like, now that we've oh, made them into that's a police force, they're like, fuck, I've been fingered before. I don't like that feeling. <laughs> uh, you can see by the end, they take, they're a little more lenient on the arrest than they are on the punishment. They like the punishing. They don't like the arresting. They like the punishing. Right, yeah. Like, once they think they got you, down, off with his head, right? Right. But <laughs> it just struck me as so... And that was what I think is fun, too, is watching the kind of structures of this society bend and sway. Again, like you said, underneath this one tiny, sweaty man. But the opening of this movie, to me, I, I said it last week, The Peeping Tom is one of my all-time favorite movie openings. This absolutely is in that same class of, you know, top five to ten best openings of a movie to me. Sure, totally. Because you start off with them essentially singing Ring Around the Rosie, but it's, hey, some guy in a dark <laughs> outfit's going to murder you. They're like, well, that's that's coming out swinging. Like, thanks, Susie. Thanks, Jim. And she trots her little, you know, or Elsie, I think her name is. I think that's the girl who yeah. ends up getting killed. And she trots the fuck off like, ha, 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 I'm such a scamp. This singing about a girl. We know there's already been a murder. Yeah. And they're just like, ha, let's turn that into a game. Great. Thanks, <laughs> like, German Christ. expressionism. Yeah. Take it down a notch, Germans. <laughs> hey, Zeus. <laughs> right? And so, but then... Like you said, when they get to – so there's just this kid walking around the street, right? Right. And this mom doing her chores, and there's a cuckoo clock and whatever. 
and the way they subtly shift everything, right? Because this is just, here's a place. This is their way of life. The cuckoo clock chimes, and the mom's like, oh, I better start making food. The little girl's like, oh, it's time to go. And as you watch their paths never meet, it struck me, and again, I had not watched this movie since I've been a dad, right? I have a five and a two-year-old. Right. You have a one-year-old. I do. This this opening scene induced more dread in me. Oh, yeah. Than entire movies I've watched in the last decade, because now that I have a kid, and this is the fucking crazy. You'll understand this, too. Like, everyone makes fun of parents nowadays that we're too involved and we're helicopter parents. This fucking movie's why. Like, this is the nightmare fuel. Right. Well, it happens. We're all like, we I can't. mean, it happens at the end of the movie. Literally, the mother is just, like, <laughs> sobbing and uncontrollably. She goes, we should have been watching our children more closely. And then it fades to black. Mm. And it says, so should you. It was the <laughs> it was the best. Peter like, Laurie's like, I did my part. I was shame. watching close as hell. Shame on you. Shame <laughs> on you, parents. Um, but just this woman trotting around her house, yeah. right? Just you think she's almost here? She's almost here. She'll be here. Yeah. And we fucking know for a fact what's happened. And well, that that's such a small scene that younger like film school Josh Grivy's like, yeah, yeah, I get it. She has a mom. Big deal, right? But now as an adult. That that to me is this moment of the movie that just absolutely rips your guts out. It's amazing because it's it's the one time we mentioned that there'd been a girl dead before and that there were eight victims and we see other victims of, you know, this kind of rash or mass hysteria. Right. And rash right. actions. Um, This is the moment that just utterly humanizes the tragedy and rips your guts out. Yeah. And again, for the time period, too, I'm assuming uh, a gnarly, hey, let's go look at a dead kid's body uh, would have been highly taboo. Yeah. Well, and the way that they play this out is fucking unbelievable. I the mean, little, the little balloon getting caught in the power lines and it looks like where you'd get choked. Yeah. Uh, that scene actually choked me up this time. And this and the uh, and then they pair it with the ball that she was literally bouncing off the who's the murderer poster just rolling to a stop with no sound, no joy, no playing. Right. I oh mean, my, I mean, it's, it's fucking terrifying. It's so well cut together. Like and for yes. for the time period too, you don't expect things to be that like the, the like intelligence of cutting those things together yeah. and like the way it's so sparsely done and yeah, like no music. Oh my God. Like the starkness of it. Is I don't the know about which thing. one you watched, right? I watched a Criterion HD version that you can rent on Amazon. Mm -hmm. Surprisingly, it's not on Criterion Channel, or I don't own it. I was surprised by that. But there are long portions of this movie where they just drop all sound out. Yeah, and it's crazy. I think <laughs> you, that's you don't on realize now. it's not even like old silent films where like they some of them even now have added like new you know scores and whatnot. Like there's just pure silence in this yeah. movie a lot. It's awesome. And it's really, yeah. really effective. Like, to a death, like no, no, like no pun intended, deafening degree. It honestly is oh, makes absolutely. things terrifying. Well, it's because again, it, it reminds me a little bit of like there's a shark and I can see it from the boat, and someone plunges me underwater, and you're like the silence of that moment. <gasps> ah, anything could be down here. Uh, that is, but that and this is the the emotional intelligence of the editing at this time right and i've been struck uh, now that we're you know locked up I, i've been doing a lot more of that you know what i'm gonna go back and watch a lot of these movies that like i watched in film school but was kind of snobby about or things that people always say like these are the classics that you just kind of skip so you're like i get it like to this day i've still only seen portions of gone with the wind so you're like i get it i feel like i can do better than that it's you know four, i know everyone loves long. it but like i mean come yeah on. i'm just like come on dude i i don't i don't have time for this <laughs> You know, someday I'll get to it. It's like that. And, like, there are, like, five of those, like, five-hour-long, like, movies from that era that I'm like, someday I'll watch them, I swear. You know, but I'm just – it's not happening. So I've been – and like I said, I did Calgary and some of these – and the emotional intelligence that some of these early film editors displayed, right? Because, right. again, this is so close to the start. And this, to me, I was trying to research. I don't know that there was ever a portrayal of a serial killer, let alone a pedophile – before this right like calgary has the somnambulist uh cesar mm -hmm. but he is under the influence and kind of running around there are madman and murderers and frankenstein's monster but this is a full-on serial killer pedophile right? yeah and so to tackle something so wildly taboo 
and find ways this is one of those great examples of what films can do right it shows us an image of broken innocence right of a banal scene of our day-to-day life and then is like oh uh it's not the way you see it though and now your heart is ripped out because later when they're like we you know what state we found the body in and our hearts and our minds we do without ever seeing anything I mean, yeah, that's like that's I, I think that's the scare. It's the best. It's the best part about this movie in general is that, mm-hmm. quite frankly, everything that is left off off screen is so brilliantly terrifying. Like, yeah, you don't need to see anything, and that's like what I think makes because any if you had seen like think about it this way if you'd seen the level of violence say that you would have seen in like Silence of the Lambs, and then you would have watched the uh, Peter Laurie's big scene where he gets to do the big confession bit that the piss would have been so far taken out of that. You've been like, this is so hammy. Why is this happening right now? But because you've never seen a body, you've never seen anything. All you've ever seen is balloons. And uh, like, honestly, like little girls, when he breaks down and goes to goes, goes out like that, it is unsettling beyond comprehension. We see a balloon in power lines. We see a ball bouncing and coming to a full dead stop, right? Mm-hmm. And the very first time we see Peter Laurie is not long after that, right? He's written a letter to the newspaper or whatever. And he's sitting there doing this fucking thing where he's, like, playing with his face. Where he's, like, looking at himself almost happy, but then also, like, what is this thing? He does not recognize his own human face. Right. And that's our opening to him as they're describing the, like, psychosis of – you know, being a, a madman who would write this letter. And then there's just this this little tiny, schlubby, sweaty, non-threatening guy looking at his own face like, I don't know what I'm seeing either. Right. And it sets you on such – because this is the thing. Um, imagine, though, that final scene, that courtroom scene of Peter Lorre. You can say that there's other actors that have had better, like, monologue moments than that. And I would argue, like – you can do as good, but you can't do better, right? It's one of those arguments I make. Like, there are some movies you're like, you can make a movie as good as that, sure. You yeah. can't make one much better, right? And this from Peter Lorre, this is the career-defining moment of everything that made him so special as an actor. And so you match the the, the kind of smaller moments we've seen with him, and especially in that final trial. Right. The, the depths of tear that he instills in you completely fill the bucket of your mind on what we didn't see exactly in so many movies today they're like oh we'll get that extra you know ah, from the audience by showing like an arm snap or a throat slice or whatever and there is like even you said silence of the lambs right to this day i still i still watch that movie and like when he's like swinging the baton you know but it's like well that's a guy who never played baseball right like you're just like i don't know like did he really beat those guys asses like could right. anthony hopkins really have beaten the and it, it took me out of the movie you're like that's so weird and corny right it, it reminds you almost in that scene of like oh this is what someone was like recanting right to like a newspaper like this is the spooky bad guy version of right. this right because it's just you know it's yeah. it's almost a little too goofy for me and and this movie I mean, obviously, a lot of people will say Jaws, but, you know, I think this movie might be the best and purest example of they show us exactly what we need and not a thing more. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's the benefit of, like, it's the benefit of the movie being of the time is that, yeah, in this case, like, it's all, like, think about it, like, I feel like if this movie was made now, like, I think they made, they remade it in, like, a (laughs) miniseries or something like that. But either way, like imagine someone trying to they make made a, a mini series of M. I think so. Yeah, like a German mini series. But like imagine, um, <laughs> ima- like that like blew my socks off. I can't fathom that as a thing that is real. <laughs> Holy <laughs> shit! I mean, you know, there's a bunch of murder shows on. Why not? Um, that like, <laughs> but that to me is like the best part about the fact that this movie was made in the 30s is that first off, this is Fritz Lang's first uh talking picture like everything he'd done up to that point was silent so like he was almost limited by the fact that he was experimenting with something completely new and it has such an effect to the right degree that it is like nearly perfectly cut like i would say like absolutely like it's so well edited and so well produced that it's almost i dare i say like a perfect movie in a lot of ways 
Yeah, and I'm sure a lot of people who watch this movie will say, I could have used a lot less of everyone who wasn't Peter Lorre, right? The detective. I guess. I actually, yeah, finishing it this time, I was so much more struck by the importance of, well, it's like even the old guys who were in the smoking lounge, right? Like them just sitting there shooting the shit and then the one guy being like, hey, you might have fucked a chick. And he's like, why did we just play golf? Like, oh, fucking. And these two guys are just like, no, you fuck chicks and kill. No, you fuck. Like two old friends, right? And they're just sitting there like, yeah, I'll throw you all the way under the fucking bus. Right. And those scenes become extra scary. Cause, and I, again, I think we are in a profound moment where we're able to see how thin these layers of society can be. Right. And just that sneaking, right? Like a movie that does this really well, like a modern example is something like The Hunt. Sure. Where you see the power in fear of something bad could have happened and we must accuse someone so fast. Right. Right. To get this over with. Right. Because then even if it's the wrong guy, like they're more worried about just having a guy. Right. Well, I mean, that's what this movie turns everyone into. And it's it's so weird to. Yeah. Because like they turn the police into this force. that's like, oh, now we're going to enforce more laws to hopefully catch a bad guy. And bad guys like we'll fucking. Meanwhile, they're just smoking. I mean, 5000 cigarettes smoked in this movie. Because everyone's just stressed the fuck out. You're like, that's a big mood. I understand that. However, exact my thing. favorite big dick cigar <laughs> moment is that guy with the pipe, the weird one. <laughs> he puts a cigar he in puts it. Puts a cigar in it, and then he's smoking, and then so he can see what who he's talking to, he switches the sides of his mouth. His eyes are just literally like desert dry. And he's like, good God. It, it did take me back to college when I worked in a bar, the Chug in Muncie, where you could smoke. And I was like, after my first shift as a bouncer, like, I couldn't see for like two days, I felt. And watching this movie, there is like an extra layer. You're like, what Peter Laurie's doing is bad. But you guys sitting in that room, like, that's also psychopathic behavior. <laughs> like, get out. Like, you can't be in a room with 20 guys chain smoking like that. It's not okay. No, it's, it's so terrible. Ugh. But the guy smoking a cigar in the pipe and yeah. everyone having like cigar holders, I'm like, that's just class, dude. I like yeah, that. Yeah, the guy who's smoking his cigar in the pipe and then literally has to change sides of his mouth so he can see who he's talking to, that is a level of awesomeness. <laughs> I'm not sure anyone will ever achieve again. Not possible. Oh, for sure, man. I, I love but that. That's shit, like though. probably, it's a weird thing. Like, it's one of my favorite sight gags in the movie. I'm like, I don't know if that's on purpose or if that's like, because I don't, I've never smoked cigars from a pipe. So I don't know if that's I smoke like, a pipe. I don't know if that's like a customary thing. If you stick your cigar in a pipe, you uh, have to like switch sides for it. Yeah, you move it around and chew on the side so you look like an old salty dog. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean it's it's just classy. But it's, it's just functional. No. But it is interesting. <laughs> is, so the, walk me through this, right? Let's use this as an example, right? Sure. I would imagine some modern audiences saying it just takes too long to get to the point, right? And that they want more of the serial killer madman. And there are a lot of people who are probably like, why the fuck is this on your list of putting us in the POV of a madman when so very much of it's not from his perspective? And I actually, this is where I would push back, right? This is something that struck me today. I think all the scenes where Peter Laurie's not involved, I think we're watching through his eyes. I mean, they always talk about how he borrows his neighbor's paper. Mm-hmm. He's writing to the paper desperate for attention. I think Peter Laurie is getting his mad rocks off seeing the amount of fear he inspires in this town. Well, yeah, I mean, I would say that the point of view of the killer is that the point of view of Peter Laurie in this movie is the fact that everyone is just like suspicious. Everyone's yeah. suspicious of everyone. Like you're to- but uh, you're totally right though. Like are the less the less Peter Laurie the better in this movie, and I think people who would say they wanted more not understanding the point of this movie at all. Yeah. Like this movie is about the effect one the effect something like this can have, like the earth shattering consequences it might have on a community, like a small enough community too. Like I'm not saying that this is like this is fucking Berlin. I'm not saying it's like yeah. you know, it's not my fucking cul de sac in Aurora, Ohio. I'm saying that like. <laughs> Yeah, it'd probably be a little easier to be like, yeah, that guy who looks like Peter Laurie. Let's start with him. Yeah, like if this was Ohio, if this was Ohio, I'd literally just point at the guy, and be like, it's definitely that guy. Yeah. He just sweats all the time. He's always whistling this song, and we hate it. We all hate it. 
But yeah, I think I think that. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it reminded the, me a bit of Zodiac in this in this viewing, right? Because we watched them so. both recently. But there is this this omnipresent power when the killer's not on screen and watching people just try to live their lives in the world where they're coming across true evil. Right. And I think most of us, that's why that trial scene works so well too, is because they actually ask us the important question, which is, does anyone have the right to do what he's doing? Cause you know, I have a kid. And if you told me today, it's like, Hey man, anyone who is a hundred percent guilty of murdering or doing things like this to a child, would you be okay if we just took him out back and old yellered them? And I I'd mean, be like, yeah, yeah, yeah I, I absolutely think like if you're a child, like if you've done horrible, unforgivable things to a child, right? And that's me. I do think they're unforgivable acts. Totally. Because to me, it's like I totally understand murdering like your neighbor right, <laughs> or your wife. Like I understand adults killing each other. If you can do that to a kid, like, yeah, I'm OK with you. And then but then you're put in the spot. You're like, oh, OK, so I'm I'm down for killings. Right. right. But I don't like when it gets messy and spills over into the air. And that's. That's what I think the power of these kind of movies begin. And that's why I think we are watching in a bit of a cathartic way through the eyes of Peter Lorre in this movie while he's not on screen. We are watching the effects that this man who probably feels small, ostracized, weak, powerless. He was institutionalized, right? We are seeing him become this godlike monster that he is in his mind. And we're kind of watching mocking a little bit right because the other thing about this movie that really struck me this time is they let us see peter laurie a lot earlier than i remember seeing him and just saying the hunt for this guy is not important because we know who he is right so there are large chunks of police procedural where we already know exactly who it is right this isn't like you know zodiac and other movies where they're trying to figure it out right we fucking know Right. So you're watching these police go through this very serious investigation, knowing exactly if they're right or wrong. And so to me, what's what are we supposed to be gleaning from that? It is the helplessness. Right. And I mean, in that way, we are looking at the police and the criminals and the townspeople the way he looks at his victims. Right. I mean, that's exactly the way. I think that's the way you're supposed to interpret that information, because. It's the most it's it's the most deft way to convey that level of paranoia and that level of terror in the world that we're all li in the world we're living in, in this movie. Like that's the best way to do it. So yeah, in that regard, like there's no reason for Peter Laurie's character to not literally just be hanging over every scene watching them. Like, you know, again, him writing letters like to the cops and then him writing letters to the paper. Like he wants he wants the notoriety. He wants the mm -hmm. he wants someone to notice what he's doing. So clearly, right. there is that level of there is that level. So to me, it's a perfect it's a perfect perfect summation of like between paranoia and also just the general feeling of just the general feeling of fear he's meant to instill in the community itself. Right, and then I think that matters a lot because I think one of the scenes people would be like, "We get it faster." is when he's trapped in that office building, right? Right. But to me, some of my favorite moments in this movie are watching Peter Laurie be hunted. Totally. Right? They're the great. turnaround of him realizing the absolute tear. This segment of the movie is great. This is when he goes out and he's like, he's just looking around. Toys, right? Innocent window shopper guy. Right. He sees this girl in the mirror and seemingly just gets all torqued up. You know, he's like getting all raged up. And then all of a sudden he's like, do, 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 do. it's almost as if his boner is the one whistling it. Right. Like that's how excited he is. Right. And we see him stalking this child. And you're just going, no, no. You know, we are fucking horrified in that moment. Right. Horrified in that moment. Because you're like, oh, my God, another one. Another balloon's about to go sailing. You're so fucking scared. And the mom snatches her daughter up. And it is one of the biggest sighs of relief I felt in a movie in a long time. Here. It's like, oh, my God. But again, it's reinforcing this kind of subtle. There right. is just evil all around us all the time. And how do we know? Totally. The evil could even be in us as the movie's showing us a lot. Right. So then when you see him in this hunter's mode to then turn around in the moment, the fucking moment, because 
And there's even the weird one where the girl hands him back his knife yeah. right after the guy handprints him. Mm-hmm. The moment he sees that M in the mirror, right? Because there's a lot of this they do, too, which is showing Peter Laurie always reflected. Not a lot of, like, direct face-on shots. Obscured, shadowed, reflection, right? Because he's not a real person. Right. Or that version of him, right? Right. The fear in his face. And you're like, oh, my God. We've turned this whole movie from omniscient, evil harbinger of child death to look at this little tiny fucking coward just running. Right. And I think that's I, – I found that fascinating. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's exactly what it is. Like, you, you – mo- well, your, your thoughts on the – like, use the office building as, like, a bigger – like, what do you think is important about that part of the movie, right? And why does that need to be in a movie like this? Could you take that out and it just – they could have just caught him and go straight to the trial? No, no, no. Like, the whole point of – it builds the tension. It, it's interesting. Like, it almost, like – inversely builds the tension a different direction because like the whole movie we've been waiting to see this guy and now we've seen him and yeah he's like a sweaty little nobody so now he's like now he's been you know he's been fingered by the he's been fingered by the beggars and they're they're like everyone's chasing him they're taking him through but you've got to have that entire feel did you feel empathy for him at all in that moment i mean i don't know if it, when his I, weak little self was like cowering on the wall i wouldn't say that moment it's when he i mean it's when he gives a speech that you start to feel a little bit in it a little bit of empathy but like that's the whole point of the chase itself is it has to get you yes. all the way to the kangaroo court when you actually have to have the empathy yeah. to listen to this and guy talk that part's important because it shows you criminals forming together working together those criminals go in and are breaking a night watchman's fingers to try to get information. Right. right. But you're watching them. So you're rooting for men who have also committed murder. Right. To catch a man who looks weak and frail and scared, who we are told is committed a murder. We don't ever see his crimes again, which that's why that's important now, too. So that whole office building is just saying here is a long period of time for you to sit and stew in gray area. Right. I mean, you are rooting for criminals and murderers to catch and murder another murderer. And we're sitting here judging from on high. So then that office building works as the real kangaroo court. Right. Before we ever get to the trial. True. I think it's a I think it's a very important. It's an important thing, because, again, it gives us the time to sit there and make the decision for ourselves. if We're actually going to have empathy for this guy or not. It's a huge it's a hugely important waiting period we have before we get to the final beat and that's a big big reason the movie is effective and i think it's it's the genius of peter laurie is you know they say it's always the eyes with the actor well he had the biggest buggiest eyes absolutely man. and he but and not in just uh kind of oh look at that weird attribute like he really he really projects true he he plays as a truly like terrified child himself totally like in that when he's cowering in that little room, right? There are moments where you see him start to get rageful, like when he's screaming at his knife, "Ah, oh, you fucking!" Yeah, and you're like, "Oh wow, okay, there's something going on." But when he's just cowering in the corner, I mean, he has a childlike defenselessness about him. Yeah, because he doesn't feel, he does not feel in. You control don't imagine him thing. as like here's the big bad wolf that needs to get turned into a coat right you know what i mean but like that's what it is like he doesn't feel in control of this thing something else is controlling him so his reaction is this like fear of his reaction is fear of self but then now that this other self has like caused him such pain he now has to fear the other people oh my god dude yeah it's unbelievable so then we cut to the trial and i would argue that the trial in this movie is amongst my 10 favorite scenes in the history of all the movies, right? Yeah. I fucking adore this setup, right? So, I mean, I think you said it best. It is kind of a kangaroo court where it's a bunch of criminals, a lot of whom are murderers, who want to catch this guy, not because of children or whatever. I think there is a part of them that likes being on that side of judging other people, right? As they, a lot of them have been to jail anyways. So there's a power in that. They want to get back to committing their crimes that they think are okay. Right. And they're just judging the shit out of this guy, right? No, no just one's the whole concept of they've already caught him. You already know he's the child murderer. Right. Why do they go through the act of having the trial? I mean, but I think that because that's 
it's almost like their form of civility. Like, think about it. Like, these are murderers, and these are... They're trying to set themselves above the monster. Right, it's like, well, basically, yeah, they're trying to say, well, what we're not <laughs> yeah. going to do is this. Like, that's, yeah, like, man. the most... That's the most bizarre thing of all, is literally it's a bunch of people who, in general, are paid to be total monsters. They're saying, no, 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 hey, we're not idiots, all right? We're going to mm-hmm. make sure this is done right. Like, that's, like, the weirdest thing about the movie, is, like, all these people should be, like basically picking out picking like who gets the short straw to not kill the guy you know and <laughs> well you're like they should have just killed him in that office building like the act of dragging him out as the police are coming to start arresting them right like their their need their psychological need to pass judgment on him and pretend that they're better than him i think that's what the movie does right is that within all of us there are these bits of evil right right and what peter laurie says too which i love is he's you know how the fuck can you guys judge me, right? Like, you could all do better. You could just right, go get jobs and not assholes. be lazy and shit. Yeah, he's like, you guys could all... You don't have to be a safe cracker who's also killed people, right? Right. Like, you could just go get a job, right? We see he can... He has good management skills, right? We've seen it in the movie. You could just go be a manager somewhere, like a shift manager. Right. But instead, you're a piece of shit, just like me. Right. But then he starts breaking down, and the, the line he screams that just fucking rips your heart out is when he's like, Wow, God, I can't remember the exact line, but he he goes, but I can't help it, I think is what he says, right? I can't help it. And he starts, and he's like, I just hear this voice, and I can't resist it, right? You guys could do other stuff. This voice takes me over. yeah. And then I wake up and have to read about the horrific things I've done and not even remember them, right? So there's a, a weird, he's obviously doing this to fulfill some deep, horrible need. But right. he's kind of telling us in, in a weird, like, reach for empathy. Like, I don't even really get to enjoy this because I don't have the memory in, like, my psycho bank. Right. You know, so I have to keep going out and <laughs> refilling this urge. And, again, that could – it's the kind of thing that I'm assuming audiences at the time would, you know, kind of laugh off or assume more with, like, a, a Christian evil. I, I think nowadays we're so much more f- familiar with the kind of person that he is, Right. And it's so funny that this movie's so ahead of its time. Yeah. Because all these serial killers, dude, if you read about them, they all call it uh, the dark passenger, you know? Right. The, the dark thing yeah. inside. They like, all talk about this, this other super thing. Dexter. Like. Yeah. Well, they all talk, they all talk about this, this other voice, this other compelling force that's separate from them but deep within them. Right. That makes them do these things. Right? There is this this part of being a human. And I think in a weird way, that's what the trial's doing too. There's this need, even as a human to, you know, on a genetic level that what you're doing is wrong. Right. And we all have to separate from it. This is just a much more extreme because his deeds are so bad. Right. But watching Peter Laurie just break down. And then in the moment he fucking slips and his eyes roll back like the undertaker. And he's like, that's that's the best sweet moment. And he has, like, this moment where, like, he lets down for a minute. And you're like, for one second of that trial, he's showing us his truest person. Right. And it's fucking insane. The shot of the trial, though, that that's the moment I was like, this kills me, is when he sees that little balloon floating, and it's shot from the God angle. Yeah. Like, this little angel's looking down on judgment on him, and he knows he's fucked. It's it's brutal. But, like, that's the... But also remember this, though. The only evidence against this guy, truly... Other than that he was caught with a girl and ran and hid, right? Which seems like something a guilty person would do. Uh, is the word of a blind alcoholic. True, but also... Because we see the blind... I'm assuming he's an alcoholic. He could have just been a German at the time. He's definitely smashing a giant party-sized beer. Right. I mean... Right? <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm just saying, some blind guy who is probably five sheets to the wind is like, I heard that song before. Go fucking kill that child murderer. And again, we know we know that he did it, but just as an audience, where you're like, "Wow, that's that is flimsy at best." Witnessing, right? <laughs> like, at best, legally in a court of law, I think that would be a pretty flimsy holdup. Granted, the cops would have him, but these people don't have all that evidence because they didn't do the work. Right. I mean, so it is. It's just re- reinforcing this kind of their desperation to judge this man and put. Well, evil I mean, away. short of his confession, I mean, like it's not like he like denied the whole thing. He well, just he confessed once he's like they're not like I'm not going to be able to get Cochran in here to be like hey uh breathalyze the witness the one witness you know what I mean right 
I'm not saying you should have gotten away with it. I'm just saying. Well. <laughs> that's not a strong case. That's not a strong case. I, Even if it's 100% right. I guess. I mean, confession Defense lawyers usually. today probably jerk off to that movie. They're like, I could have gotten him. I could have gotten him to skate. <laughs> do you think they show this in law school? They'll be like, don't do this, whatever you do. <laughs> yeah, well, they, they play it in, like, training rooms for lawyers. And the guys that are J-O-ing in the dark, they're like, you're a scumbag defense lawyer. <laughs> Like a high-powered one, not helping innocent people. Like, you know you know the ones I'm talking about. Yeah. They're good defense lawyers, but the ones who J.O. to this courtroom scene, they're not good. That's a not a good. That's a bad. But that's what I mean. That's a flimsy-ass one witness. Some blind guy heard someone whistling a very popular <laughs> tune of the time. But that's the important thing about this movie is that we get through the entire thing and we don't give a shit about any of the actual... We don't give a shit about any of the actual evidence. What matters is that the guy confessed to doing something so heinous, yeah. no one can even speak of it. And yeah. he finally, he just takes his licks. He doesn't even like, he doesn't even try to escape. He just, he takes it. Well, no, he does. He gets to that door and he's like, yeah, yeah oh, yes. nine, yeah. nine, eight. And they're just like punching his hands and shit. Right. And then it's, uh, but that's what I mean. There's a part of him that's even like, hand me over to the cops because I yeah. think he thinks he can still skate. Because, again, they've got one drunk, blind witness. He still thinks he can get away with it somehow. He's already slipped through the cracks of the system. And besides the amazing acting and the defense lawyer, you know, I will not be shouted down. But he even says, he's like, no one has the right to take a life. Not you, not the fucking state. No one. Yeah. And that's kind of the important. But that they give you a legitimate reason to question your insatiable hunger to see this man broken and beaten and punished. Right. Right. And they top it off with that mom, dude, just that broken shell oh, of a God, woman who's like, none of shit. this will bring my kid back. And that's the important moment because we all have to sit there and we're by the end of this movie, right? We know the monster this man is. We've vicariously been terrified of him the entire movie. Right. right. And now we see him, right? We even had empathy for him in that building, right? Like, he seemed a little bit like a scared guy, whatever. But when he breaks down and we see his mask slide, we're like, fuck him. But then we're like, we're sitting here on the side with all these other murderers. Right. Well, I think that's... Judging a murderer. And the mom even says, this isn't going to fucking fix me. Right. The one person who's been hurt and actually harmed by this crime the most. And we have to sit there as an audience and say, do we just want retribution and revenge? Right. It's what... Which is a revenge never helps anyone right? right or do we want true justice right i mean this movie starts as like it sort of starts as this weird cat and mouse and it really becomes a movie about what is real justice what is yeah. really what are you really after with this like if you capture a guy and you put him on fake trial and try to and make him confess to the crimes he's committed are you and then for what for what purpose just so you have the satisfaction yeah. of knowing or for the well, satisfaction. Yeah, and it's like, why are they going through this process of torturing this man when they clearly just want to murder him? Right. Right? So they're being extra cruel to him in a way because they want him to fucking suffer. Right. And I'm a person who is like, yeah, like if you're one of those guys, like a child murderer and a pedophile, like I wouldn't feel bad for you, man. And then you're, but you're sitting there like, why is that? Right? Right. Like, it's not going to make anyone feel better for having suffered these crimes. Right. And it's, and that's what I think is cool, man, is it's not just, a, oh, here's a madman, and now we're going to see him strung up and beaten and dragged through the streets. The movie says, hey, we know this guy's a piece of shit. We've scared you the whole movie. And then we pulled a rope-a-dope on you, and now we're saying, hey, maybe whatever's wrong with him, there's a little seed of that in all of us. You know what I mean? Yeah. That is powerful. If at the end of the movie you can make me wonder if I have moral high ground on a child murderer and pedophile... <laughs> And that is how expertly paced this movie is, right? They're walking you through step by step, and then at the end, they just let it go and say, I know you won't run because you've got nowhere to go. We backed you into a corner. It's the un unwinnable debate that I think we all suffer, man. True. How far do you, how much of a monster do you become in an effort to destroy a monster? Right. How far are you willing to take the, how far are you willing yeah. to take the monster uh, before you become one yourself? Yeah, and maybe we can never kill him. And I think that's the beautiful part of Peter Lorre is he is this just kind of small, vulnerable person. But 
in that moment, even when he's cowering on the ground and he looks so diminutive, right? You're like, there is this giant shadow that fills that whole fucking screen, and that's why he's a perfect casting for that man. Because you're like, even that guy can become this ultimate shadow over this entire movie and city, man. That's really scary, and that's that's what I I'll take from this time. Um, just the brilliant, masterful use of sound and shed the things we don't see. Right. Because this is the weird thing. When the blind guy actually pegs him. He is the closest to us. Right. We also have not fully seen him. We also know him by his deed and his sound mostly. Right. Right. And so that blind guy finding him, that's really cathartic. Right. Like there's a whole city looking. And the only person who could see him was the one not distracted by his facade of normalcy. Right. Right. So I think that's what I'll take from the movie this time is it's it's so much more haunting than I remember, man. And I know you experience the same thing. Like we have kids now. Yeah. And we just texted and I was like, yeah, like if we weren't quarantined, I don't think my kids would be out of my sight for like a month. No, not at, at all. least because you're like, watching this. Fuck. No, this scene is the fucking nightmare. Just looking up at a clock and being like, it's one hour past when my kid would be home. Oh, yeah, man. Right. <laughs> it also made me think I was like, God damn, imagine if they had Casey Anthony's lawyers back then. Peter Laurie would have <laughs> skated. <laughs> like, imagine the fear of your child being one hour late and not knowing where they are. I mean, I get nervous. And now. then imagine it being 30 days and you're at Blockbuster getting tattoos and wet T-shirt contesting. I'm, I'm sure she's innocent. I'm kidding. The law passed her. Obviously. I mean, I get nervous <laughs> now when I don't see my kid and I'm in the same room with them. Like, I'm like, oh, oh. well, <laughs> this is a great parenting moment. When you finally get peace and quiet, you go, that's not right. Right. Yeah. Andre, and actually, it, it happened today. Andre and I were watching him, and he was in the corner of a room, and I was like, she's like, it's really quiet. And I'm like, where's the kid? And we said, and he's just like playing by himself. And she was like, it yeah. was way too quiet. We're like, fuck yeah. Dude. Oh, yeah. It's the worst. I was sitting here doing some work today. My other son's next to me playing Mario. And I look over, and I'm like, wow, I'm missing one. Where's the other one? He's like, I don't know. I think he's playing. And I ran out of my room. I'm like, fuck. Like terrified, I want to say he's just playing with toys, just happy as shit, playing by himself. But I was like scared in my own home, right? And that's the thing. I was like, people make fun of man, the helicopter parents and whatever. It's because movies like this, and for us, it was like the news and other movies and TV, Lifetime Network, right? The entire deluge of media of our entire lives is like everyone wants to kill you and your innocent family. But dude, I don't know. I I watched this scene, and that I mean, it is a gut punch. And then to imagine this movie is almost 100 years old. Yeah. And the emotional and artistic yes. power that they manipulate out of these images on something that is so taboo for the time. It's pretty normal for us to see movies about things like this. Right. But for the time and how much they, they were skirting around what was in front of all of us. Yeah. To still be able to milk that reaction out of us a hundred years later. It's pretty. I think that's one of the brilliant things about, you know, film, especially like foreign films and uh, really old films is you're like the way they just emotionally are so bonded to the time whenever you're watching. Right. And this movie will work in every era from now until the sun explodes. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the most important thing about this movie is that it never loses its potency. I mean, like particularly now, I'll say like it's even more potent. Just because of oh, the situation yeah. we're in in our lives. Yeah. Walk me through this, Alex. Final, right? You've walked in the shadow of a madman. You've hunted a city. You walk around whistling, uh, enter the mountain, king of the mountain. Is that what, mountain king? Is that what it was? Uh, the song is I think that's called a song. Uh, in, the, the in the hall king of, the, of mountain the mountain king. The hall of the mountain king, right? All right. So you did this. We chose this on our, the pod becomes a madman, right? This is all about killer POV. What did the POV of Peter Laurie's killer do for you in this movie, right? I mean, for me, it um, it a re scared the shit out of me as a new parent, but then also, um, it provided me. It, it, it does that thing that I really enjoy about movies is like a character doesn't have to be in the room to affect the people in the movie that it's about, mm -hmm. and I think that's something that I love the most about this is that I felt. I felt fear in a way for him. Uh, I felt fear in a way that I had not felt sp before we had a kid. Mm -hmm. That's that's what. It yeah. Did. Yeah. I mean, the thing I took from it is just how. How you can't ever put a face on evil, right? Every no. face becomes evil. 
again, that scene, we see this whole series of horrific things and the whole setup of the world and the scene that I'll always take with me, right? The trial scene is spectacular. Right. But Peter Laurie just staring at his own face in the mirror, right? That first moment of us getting a look at this man and all the horrible things that we've experienced up in this movie and we get to that guy and we're just watching some evil force inside of a meat suit. You know what I mean? Interesting. Just, just fucking sitting there staring at itself saying, I don't get it either. Right. That's the scariest thing. I think we all understand the like the plotting madman. Like, I have a plan. I will carry out a plan or an attack. Right. This is just a guy who, like, he doesn't even understand. He is just compulsively doing one of the most heinous, disgusting things that any of us could imagine. Right. And the fact that that's just happening in the heart of a city and a society – and with all these people on guard, criminals trying to reform themselves to catch, they still can't because it's unimaginable to us that a thing like this exists amongst us while we know it does. Right. So that's that's what I take from Peter Laurie's portrayal is just that that seed of evil and not having any idea how big the the how much germinations happen in any other human being. I mean, it's really, truly fucking terrifying performance. It is. And again, I think I think the best analog for it is what you said earlier with Silence of the Lambs, which is, again, Hopkins is in that for what, like 13 minutes. Peter Laurie gets roughly about the same amount of time in this movie. Maybe less. And Again, it's just, yeah, it's like an oversized shadow he cast on this whole movie. Every scene you're not there, you are still seeing his face. Right. Right. And I feel like I'm watching through his eyes, you know. At this fucking mockery of society. I don't know. I I think this movie's infinitely stunning. It's gotten better every time I've watched it, and I think it will there'll never be an era where this movie should not scare you. <laughs> no, I mean I think this is a that's an all timer, you know? Yeah. And Peter Laurie, while so specific in his look and his skills, becomes one of the best basins for any of us to examine this kind of behavior, right? I mean, he, like other killers, I think they have their things that make it harder to relate to them. This one, you could just imagine anyone being that guy, the killer, in a weird way. Right. Well, I mean, we all have something horrible. We all have something horrible buried in us. But, yeah. no, you know, no, not not saying everyone's a serial killer deep down, but no. everyone has something dark. Again, that but they, that's what the movie's saying is, oh, you sit here and judge, right. you know, Mr. Ivory Gloves. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I mean, I do. I think, but I don't know. This movie made me think about everything about like law and order. I'm like, why do we still have wars? Like, fuck, wow. man. Like, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm in the wrong headspace. I just like everything. We should just all. I want to hug again. I want the whole world to hug and be cool. But yeah, I don't know. I thought I think this movie is utterly terrifying. And I think this is one of the greatest madmen in the history of movies. I think it's just one of the best movies ever. So, guys, that's it for him. I hope you loved it as much as we did. Uh, you can find this movie for free on a lot of apps if you search on your uh, various devices. Uh, but Amazon's got, you know, an HD rental. You can buy it for 20 bucks. Um, I have a feeling, guys, this is a movie you'll come back to multiple times. Maybe you already have. Make the investment, guys. Uh, it is phenomenal. It is very uh, good. So our next Madman, Alex, the pod becomes a Madman. Who's our next next week's Madman you want to cover? Well, I chose, the, I chose last time. You should choose this time. All right, so let's do... Let's do Henry next. Okay. Sounds good. So we've still got Henry and then, uh, yeah, we'll do Henry next. Henry portrait of a serial killer. Cool. Uh, amazing, scary, terrifying, Ooh, vulgar film that I fucking love. Can't wait. It's kind of the inverse. Whereas M shows you a lot of like, here are images and you have to imagine. Right. Henry shows you a lot of aftermath and that's what you have to imagine. Often. Right. So it's really a cool inverse to M, I think. It'll be a fun movie to discuss, even though it's vulgar, guys. But it's bad. They're bad men. Uh, that's it. Uh, so we'll be seeing you uh, next Tuesday, every Tuesday, Thursday, uh, working on some double features and some other stuff. You might just start seeing other movies drop, guys. If there's something you'd like to see us cover, hit us up on social media. We'll do our damnedest to get every single movie you guys request of us. Uh, sometimes, you know, there's more than we can get to. But, hey, we always keep the list, and we'll get to them eventually. We're trying. Yeah, please leave us a rating and review, especially on Apple Podcast app. That helps us out enormously. And uh, follow our channel on YouTube, Nerd Alchemist. That's plural with an S at the end. So you can see our face and any other of the new content we are working on developing. Uh, for the film Alchemist, I'm Josh Griffey. I am Alex Dandino.